Luke chapter 13. We've been going through the gospel of Luke. And it, it's been awesome to see as we're right in the middle of our, of our study on the gospel of Luke, Jesus' life ministry on this earth and, and the things that he was doing, preaching, teaching, and healing. And, and this morning, we're going to see all of that in Jesus' life. He had a threefold ministry, preaching, teaching, and healing. This is what, what Jesus was called. Everything that Jesus was doing was out of love. And this is his ministry. So as we jump into this chapter, I titled this study, Grace from the Healer. And we're going to learn about that. I've, I've got points for us this morning. So if you guys are, are note takers and you guys want to, I encourage you guys, take notes when you're in a Bible study because you don't want to leave that Bible study the same. Realize this, that, that God has a message for you guys individually. No one is here by mistake. You guys are here this morning because God wants to speak to you. God wants to speak to me. And so th this isn't an accident, accident, but this is a divine appointment. So with the lessons that God is giving us, let's take those home and apply it. So grace from the healer, that's the, the title of my study. And we'll start with, Chapter 13, verse 1. It says, There were present at that season some who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So now Jesus, again, he, he's teaching right now. He's teaching the disciples. He's teaching the multitudes. And, and something that we see is in between chapter 12 and 13, there's probably a gap of time that has taken place. And now something is brought to their attention in verse 1. He's, he's talking about a situation with these Galileans who they were Jews from Galilee. And uh, the Jews from Galilee were actually known to be very rebellious against Rome. They, they would try to overthrow Rome and be free. Because remember, this is during a time when Rome had occupied Israel. And they, they were overseeing them. Now the Roman authority is at a certain point in time, they entered a particular synagogue of the Galileans, which probably was a, a, a place where these Galileans had been in some sort of rebellion because these Roman guards then entered this synagogue and began to slay the Jews that were in there as they were making sacrifices to the Lord. So suddenly when the Romans are in there, there's like this big bloodbath now. And, and, and the blood of these Jews is now on the same blood as the sacrifices that they were giving. So this is like, whoa, like they're, they're bringing this, uh, this account up to Jesus. They're, they're, and why are they doing that is the question. It's likely that probably some Pharisees were there and they're bringing this account up to Jesus as a trap for Jesus. Because they, they want Jesus to say, well, whose side are you on, Jesus? Are you on the Romans' side for what they did? Or are you on the side of the Jews, even though the Jews were probably rebellious and some of them were even murderers, the Bible talks about. So they're trying to put Jesus in, in a place where he needs to pick between either his brethren or Rome. They're trying to trap him. And then in verse 2, And Jesus answered and said to them, 
Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So now with that scene that I just described to you, they were dying a very violent death. So perhaps the, the people of that time were thinking, well, because of such, violent, su- such a violent way to die, these men were probably sinners. They were probably just deep in sin, and that's why God allowed for this terrible thing to happen to them. And that was the assumption of the day. In verse 4, Jesus continues, Or those 18 on whom the tower of Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Okay, so here's another story for real quick. There, there's a pool in Israel today. It's the pool of Siloam. And, and oftentimes Jews would go down there to bathe and to become ceremonially clean. And at a certain point in time, apparently, there was a tower that was above that pool that had fallen down and crushed and killed 18 people. For maybe recently you saw uh, in Florida that construction, that big apartment complex just completely caved in. The water underneath the, the flooring was killing all, all, all the construction and many people died in that. Kind of similar. And, and maybe Jesus is bringing this up. Hey, like, well, do you think because they've died such a violent death that they were worse sinners than you guys here today? You know, it's a fair question to ask. D- does the way that we, we die, does it kind of equate to the way that we live our life? And then in verse 5, again, Jesus says, I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So now there's a contrast, though, between these two accounts. Uh, On the second account, these people who died underneath the tower, they're they're seemingly a little more righteous, yet they died a tragic death. So I ask us this question. I ask us this morning. Who who can judge why they died? Can, Can we determine why they died such a violent death? A lot of times we can't. A lot of times that only God can be judged. So what is Jesus then saying to these people? He's saying, you, look, you repent and you worry about your own salvation. This is us like, making sure that we're right before God. Which leads me to my first point. Point number one. Repentance is necessary. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 12, Paul writes, he says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You see, there there needs to be repentance in our life. People don't like that word repent because it it, it requires death to self. Now something that as you're going through those two verses in Luke when Jesus says, unless you repent, in verse 3, when he says, unless you repent, this, the, the way the Greek is written, 
It's describing a continual repentance. So how often do we need to repent in our lives? Every day. Amen. We need to be repentful every day of our life. And what's interesting is in verse 5 when he says, unless you repent, the, the word there, the way it's phrased, it's described as a once and for all repentance. So th- there's uh, different types of, of repentance that we can have. Now, repentance, keep in mind, repentance is the first step to salvation. Do you guys remember Peter on Pentecost? When the Holy Spirit fell on the church, this is after Jesus lived his life here on earth. He died, resurrected. Jesus told his disciples, he said, look, wait in Jerusalem and tarry there until I send the helper, the Holy Spirit, to fall upon you guys. And then on the day of Pentecost, when they were all gathered in the church there, suddenly the the Holy Spirit fell upon the men and women there. And they began prophesying and speaking in tongues. And then some of them were like, whoa, what's going on? Are these people drunk? And Peter was like, no, 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 they're not drunk. Look, this is something that the Bible talks about. And then he begins to preach a a gospel message to the multitudes. And in Acts chapter 2, verses 36 through 38, Peter says this. He says, And therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And then in verse 38, then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So what were they to do once they realized their sin, once they realized they had crucified the Messiah? Peter tells them they needed to repent. That was the first step toward their salvation. It's a change of mind. That's what the word means, to turn away from sin. You're walking one way and you make an 180 degree turn and you walk the other way. And there's evidence that someone is truly repentful. We see the gift of the Holy Spirit was that one evidence. And there has to be a genuine repentance in us. The Bible teaches us that godly sorrow worketh repentance. Do you guys know the, the difference between conviction and condemnation? Because we, we, those words are kind of similar, right? When you think of them, the conviction, condemnation, it's something, you know, it's like, oh, you, you feel bad in it. But there's actually a difference. You see, conviction, when, when we feel that guilt, that's conviction, it actually leads us to get closer to God. We say, God, I don't want to be a sinner. I need you in my life. I feel guilty for what I've done. Come into my life and forgive me. And it draws you closer to Jesus. But condemnation in our life, man, condemnation, we're like, you know what? I, I don't want to be close to God. I don't want to go to church. I'm a filthy sinner and I I don't deserve that. So I'm going to walk away from the Lord. That's condemnation. And that's what the enemy wants to do in your life. He wants you to feel condemned. He wants you to feel like 
like, you know what? You're a, a terrible sinner and you don't deserve God's grace in your life. And these are lies from the enemy. You see, Jesus is bringing up these points on repentance. He's telling them, look, you guys are worried about good and bad in other people's life. And I'm telling you guys, worry about repenting in your heart. Because they were thinking, well, man, if they died such a terrible death, they probably were bad people in their life, right? And that's the same kind of ignorance and the same kind of blindness that Job's friends had. Do you remember Job? Do you guys remember the, the account of Job? I like to use the word account, you'll notice, instead of story, because when I say the word account, it brings the more historical record to, to light. The account of Job. When, when Job was here on this earth, he was attacked by Satan. Satan uh, uh, went to God and, and God was talking to, to Satan and said, hey, have you considered my servant Job? And Satan was like, yeah, but you know, you've blessed him on the earth. If you, if you let me uh, touch him, I, I bet you that he'll curse you to your face, God. And God said, oh, you know what? Go ahead. Because God knew God knew that Job was a righteous man. So Satan literally attacked Job. Job lost his family, his possessions that he had, even his health was covered from head to toe in boils uh, to the point where he was sitting on a dung hill, an ash heap, and was cutting the, the boils that were in his skin so that they could, the pus could come out. And that's where Job ended up. And then his wife even told Job, why don't you just curse God and die? But Job said, how, how can I praise God in, in a season of blessing and then curse him when, I, when, I'm, when I'm being in a trial? And then Job's friends, right? They come along and they're like, hey, Job, we know exactly what's going on in your life. We could see. And why don't you just confess your sin, bro? We know that you have hidden sin in your life. The, all the stuff that's happening to you has to be because there's hidden sin in your life, Job. But Job was like, dude. And that's the way they talked back then. They said, dude. They said, I, I'm right before the Lord. Was Job a sinner? Yeah, he was a sinner. But there, there wasn't some secret sin going on in Job's life. Because the mentality of that day was that when you do good, good things happen to you. And when you do bad, bad things happen to you. And that's still a mentality that we have in our own life at times. Which brings me to point two. Not karma, but grace. You guys have heard, oh man, karma got that guy real good. Oh, karma's gonna get him or her. You know, somebody's acting a fool, and then you're just like, man, you can't get them in that moment, but you're like, watch out, man, the karma voodoo is going to come at you, right? But that's, that's not the way, the, that's not what the Bible teaches. You see, when Job was there going through this trial in his life, he begins to, in the middle of the book and towards the end, he actually begins to doubt God's goodness. He doesn't curse God, but he begins to question God, like, why are you allowing this in my life? Like, what's going on? If only you would just show yourself and speak to me, God. And how crazy is that that God actually goes to Job in a whirlwind. He appears to him. 
And then he, he says, who is this who's speaking foolish? And then God begins to actually turn the tables on Job and begins to ask Job all of these questions. He actually asks him 66 questions related to the universe, related to God's power and God's wisdom. He starts to ask Job, Job, where were you when, when I created the earth? Where were you when I made the foundations, the core, the center of the earth? Where were you when the stars were singing to me? The stars singing praises that God named all the stars. He says, Job, where were you when I, I created the sea and its boundaries? Do you know how morning and night works? What about thunderbolts? My wife's scared of thunderbolts. Do we really under, does she understand what that, that bolt is coming down to earth? And he continues to ask Joe, what about the, the weather patterns? And he, he begins to ask him about the giant behemoth animals and, and the great Leviathan serpent that swims in the sea. He says, can you tame these animals, Job? You see, the point that God is making to Job is that God's perspective is infinitely bigger than ours. God understands all these inner workings. Look, he knows why our minds are the way that they are. He knows not why we were raised in the house that we were raised in, why we were put with the family that we were put with, and the trials that happened in our life, and all the complexities that have brought us to this point that we call fate or providence. God knows all of it. So because God is all wise, Job asking God to defend himself, it's kind of absurd because Job really can't understand the complexity of, of what God is doing. So God, it's kind of, I wish God gave Job the answer. The reason why this happened in your life, Job, is because this happened. But God doesn't do that. And sometimes God doesn't give us the answer in our life. But instead, Job, what he learns how to do through this is he learns how to suffer. Do you guys know how to suffer in your life? Do you guys know how to endure trial when it comes in your heart? Job learned how to suffer. He learned how to have humility towards the Lord, how to be at peace with the Lord in a trial. He learned the fear of the Lord in this trial. And then what I love is at the end of that story that God still blesses Job. And he gives him twice of what he had before in his life. And he heals Job. Now, it's not that God get, then gave blessings to Job because of the terrible experience that he went through. It's because God is wise and knew in his wisdom that this is what Job was going to have next through God. So look at your life today. Consider yourself. Maybe right now we're, we're in a place where we're, we're distant from God. Maybe right now in our life we're, we're living in sin. Or perhaps this past week we, we've stumbled. And then we begin to feel, well, man, with that idea of when you do good, good things happen. When you do bad, bad things happen. And we start to think, man, I, I don't deserve God's blessing in my life because I did bad. I've done wrong. 
And we're just waiting for the judgment. All right, God's going to come around the corner any moment now and the, the trial is going to be right there. And you're like, I, I deserve it. And we have this guilt mentality then in our mind. And I, I go through this. This is what I go through. I'm, I'm like, God, I, I've messed up. And, and, and I want to give up. And so there's times when I'm like, God, I don't want to read my Bible because I know your Bible has blessings in it and I don't feel like I deserve it right now. I don't want to pray. And then my witness is blown, so I'm like, I can't, how can I witness to someone if I'm, if I'm apart from you, Lord? And I don't even want to ask for forgiveness because it's like, dude, like God, you and I have been through this before. You know me, I'm a terrible sinner. And yet at the same time, I'm afraid of God's punishment. You guys aren't alone if you feel that. Believers go through this. So here's what I want to exhort us in this morning. Exhort you guys. God loves you. And it's undeserved. The Bible teaches us this. Look at 1 John 1.9. It's not going to be on the screen. You don't need to turn your Bible there. John writes, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, confess before the Lord. In Romans chapter 8, verse 1, I love this verse. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. You see, when you walk in the spirit, there's grace. There's no condemnation anymore. So when you are in Christ, don't allow Satan to try to put condemnation there. It's a lie. And then in Psalms 103 verse 11, God says, For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. See God's mercy? And lastly, Hebrews 8.12. God says, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. So what, what, how do we get all this? What is it in our life that allows us to have this? It's Jesus what he did on the cross. Because look, we, we don't relate to God based on our works. So we don't expect blessings or, or cursings based on our works. But we praise God in both of them. Now, don't get me wrong. The Bible does teach that you reap what you sow. So when you're sowing to the Spirit, you're going to reap of the Spirit. When you're sowing to the flesh, you're going to reap of the flesh. But there's, a, there's still grace and mercy because oftentimes we look out in the world and we see some of the, the biggest sinners, they're, they're blessed. And we're like, God, what, why him? <laughs> what about me? I'm over here working for you. Like, that, like the prodigal son's brother, right? We're like, dude, like, I've been with you the whole time, God. And this is what I love about God's love because he's omnibenevolent. He's all love that there's nothing that we can do to make God love us anymore. 
God already loves us. We can't earn more of his love. And then vice versa, what I love even better, there's nothing I can do to make God love me less. When I sin, it's not like, oh man, now I got to remove my love. No. I just get to receive the love of God when I'm open to it. And I could also reject the love of God. You see, when you learn of this agape love that I'm talking about, the love of God, when you, re- when you learn that, when you experience it, you can share that love with other people. Your husbands, your wives, your, your brothers, your sisters, your family, your friends, your coworkers, the people in your immediate circle. You could begin to love them the same way. Something I, I, I realize in my life of, of the blessings that God has given me is that I will never deserve my wife. I'll never deserve her. You're like, oh, that's cute. But, but wait, hold on, because I have a follow-up statement. She will never deserve me. Oh, what? wow, prideful. No, this is what I'm saying. There's nothing that I can ever do to deserve that goodness in my life from God. And there's nothing that she can ever do for the same. And when I begin to treat my relationship that way, of saying, look, the blessings that, that God pours through her to me, it's just his grace. Now I realize I don't deserve any of it. I don't deserve any of the goodness that she can give me. Now suddenly once I realize that I don't deserve any of the goodness that she can give me, it makes me appreciate it more. It makes me appreciate her more. So now all of a sudden I'm not making this list of like, okay, these are the bad things that she's done. Okay, bad things. And then the good things, I'll make it longer. Sure, all the good things. And based on that list, you know, like, okay, for these bad things, I'm not going to be good in those areas, uh, you know. And for these good things, I'll be good in these. And see what I'm doing? I, I'm now living on a works-based relationship. And that's how people treat the relationship with God. Because they think that their relationship with God is like their relationship with other people here on earth. They think that's what the love is like. But we need to experience the true love of God so that we can then give that love of God to other people. So it's no longer about works anymore. Love covers a multitude of sins. The Bible teaches us this. And this is the type of love that you guys get to exercise. It's unconditional. So now, that's what I want to do in my life. I want to exercise unconditional love towards my wife, towards my family, my church. So I'm not expecting anything. And I shouldn't live that way. So let's flee from the workspace relationship. Jesus is going to continue in Luke's gospel. He's going to give us a parable. Chapter 13, verse 6. He says, He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. 
Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if not, after that, you can cut it down. So there, here's this illustration that Jesus gives to us, which leads me to point three. No Jesus, no grace. And if you notice the way I have it written there in my notes up there, the K-N-O-W, Jesus, because if you know Jesus, you will know grace. But if you don't have Jesus, know Jesus, N-O Jesus, then there is no grace. And then in this illustration that we just read, verses six through nine, we have the farmer, that's God. They call him the husbandman, who has this, this vineyard and he plants this fig tree. And that fig tree, it's representative of, of Israel. And, and the fruit that should come from this fig tree would have been the good works, true works, genuine but the fig tree, Israel, didn't have good works. I'm reminded of Jeremiah, the prophet, said, your righteousness is like filthy rags to me. Because in our self-righteousness, that's what, it, that's what God sees our self-righteous acts as, filthy rags. So he says, look, let, let's chop this tree down, but then there, there's this conversation where it says, you know what, no, we're going to let it remain past the, the third year, onto a fourth year. And if when we come back then, if there's no fruit then, we're going to cut it away. In this, I see God's patience. God's patience towards Israel. You see, that fig tree already had three years to, to bear fruit, but it wasn't doing it. So now there needs to be a working, right? There needs to be a, a digging in the soil refreshed. But there is a day that's going to come, a day of judgment. And Jesus says, after that, cut it down. One of the, the lessons that we've been learning here over the past few Sundays is to discern the time that this day of judgment is coming. Man, when I look at, at the news media and what I'm seeing, I just want to share two things with you guys. I, I didn't have this prepared in my notes. Um, but there's two major headlines that I saw just this last week where I was like, God, you're coming. Jesus is coming soon. Thing number one, you guys could go look this up. It's on the Vatican News website that uh, the Vatican, uh, they have, they're creating a, a church, a mosque, and a synagogue to be built in Abu Dhabi as sort of a, a one world kumbaya, we're all going to hold hands together. And it, it's going to be a place where everyone recognizes sort of a coexistence. And Pope Francis signed off on this. And when I see that, I'm like, okay. One world religion, right? God, are you, are you, are you doing something right now? And then secondly, you guys could look this up too. The Lutheran church right now is getting a lot of heat. I don't know if you guys saw this. Uh, but recently, though, over last week, I believe, or actually two weeks ago, they ordained their first transgender, uh, they call him a, a bishop. 
They don't have pastors, they have bishops. And, it, and it's now a, a progressive church. And this is from the Lutheran church. You guys could go look this up. It's a, a, Megan Rohr is her name. And, it, and it's big right now. I'm probably going to get canceled on, on YouTube and Facebook right now because I said her name. But, but th- this is where people are now starting to call good evil and evil good. And I'm like, all right, Jesus, I, I know your return is near. So help me to focus on those things that I need to be focusing on in my life. Am I allowing myself to become distracted? Or should I be allowing the Holy Spirit to bear fruit through me? I want to have you guys turn in your Bible today. We're going to do some sword work today. Go to John chapter 15. Because as I'm, I'm looking at this, I'm looking at the, the vineyard, the, the fig tree that's not bearing fruit. This passage of scripture comes to my mind, John chapter 15, because Jesus talks about being the true vine. In John chapter 15, we're going to read a few of the verses. We'll cover a few of them. Beginning with verse 1, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Some cool illustrations here. Jesus, the true vine, right? Giving us true life, eternal life in him. And God is the the vine dresser. And he says, we're the branches. We're made in his image. And when we are connected to him, fruit comes. And and that idea of fruit, fruit is the good works, genuine works stemming from relationship with God. Not works based on our own selfish flesh. We're trying to have a works-based relationship, but the good works, genuine. And then he says, look, He prunes his branches, reminding me of the chastening of the Lord. And we don't like to be pruned. We don't. When God has us on the operating table and and there's things in our heart that need to be removed, as God with his tools begins to take those parts out of our heart that are removed, there's pain in it. And we're like, okay, I don't want to go that far, God. I'm good just being there on Sunday mornings and that's it. I don't want to do anything else. Church is my insurance. That's how I might get into heaven insurance. But as far as changing and being, you know, patient and loving and kind and, and, and not being angry and bitter, those are the, the hard things that hurt. It hurts for us to, to change sometimes. But God prunes us. So that why? So that we could bear more fruit. In verse 3, he says, You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now he's speaking to his disciples here. Look, they're clean because of the word. This book right here in our hands. Jesus' words are in this book. And he says, you are clean because the words I have spoken to you, which we read about. So, Do you want to live a a life of cleanliness? This is our, our source. 
And this is exactly, this book is, is what, sad to say, uh, uh, there's Christian churches that are, they're not teaching the word anymore. It's feel-good messages and there's no repentance. There's, there's no message on sin and the cross. But Jesus said, repent. Otherwise, you're going to perish. In verse 4 of that same passage, he says, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. See? We need to abide in Christ. Which is why I have point four in my study today. Abide in Christ. That word to abide, it means to remain, to dwell, to continue and to journey, to endure and wait. Look, don't leave. Abide in Jesus. Now, let me ask you guys, what can we do without God that has eternal value? What can we do that has eternal value without God in Christ? Nothing. There's nothing that we can do without Christ that is going to have eternal value. So if we want that eternal value in our life, if we want to produce that, how do we do it? We say, you know what? You're right. You're right, Pastor Sal. I, what I need to do is I need to start uh, getting myself busy uh, and, and start to, to work on, uh, you know, all these, the ministry things that I possibly can and build myself up and, and I need to be successful in, in it. And I'm like, whoa, 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 slow down. What about a relationship with Jesus? Let's start with that. Let, let's start with you growing on knowing who Jesus is in your life. Because when you look, when you think about fruits, just the other day I was walking, uh, actually, down the street or somewhere nearby and there, there was these lemons. They're, they were small on this tree and I'm walking by it and I, I heard them groaning. They were like, Aah! and I was like, wow, dude, they're really straining to grow. No, that didn't happen, right? That's ridiculous. Lemons don't strain to grow. They naturally produce from the tree, right? Why? Because they're connected to the branches, they're connected to the branches, getting all the nutrients and, and the, from the tree. You see, we don't have to fight and strain now and, and put all these works in our life in order for us to bear good fruit. We simply say, okay, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. So guide me and open the doors that you want to open for me. Help me walk through those doors. It, and just allow the Spirit to work in you. You see, there's a lot that, that God can do through me. But if, if God isn't working in me personally, then man, what's it all for? Yeah, God has his ways of, of blessing people. God can use a donkey, right, to speak to someone if he needs to. But I want God to speak to me. And, and, I, and I pray that then God would use that, him speaking to me, to then pass on to other people. 
So this is abiding. This is us staying attached to the vine. We don't have to strain for those good works to come out. We don't have to like get worried now about it. Just allow the Holy Spirit to lead you in it. And then in verse six in that same passage, he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. So two things, the seriousness of being in Christ because when we're not in Christ, when we're not abiding in Christ, Jesus just said we're going to be thrown into the fire. Condemnation. So I warn us to repent. And I need this message just as well. But we can have this. We can have when we are abiding in Christ, when we're his disciples, when we've died to ourselves. Because remember what he called us to do? Die to ourselves, pick up the cross daily, follow him. And he said this to his disciples. He said, then you're going to start praying and asking things in my name. And you're going to be lined up with Jesus and I'm going to answer them. The response is going to be yes and amen. But when we're outside of Christ, when we're not abiding in Christ, we're going to be praying and asking for things and like, man, like we're asking amiss. We're not asking for the right things that God desires for us. We're God, just help me win the lottery. And God's like, no, I'm not, I'm not that, I'm not in that. But these are these lessons that we can take to abide Back in Luke's gospel, chapter 13, we saw how, how it's not based on works anymore. It's based on grace. And here's a, a perfect now live example of Jesus performing that in a person's life with this woman who had a, a spirit of infirmity. In verse 10, it says, Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. And behold, there was a woman who had a spirit of infirmity 18 years and was bent over and could in no way raise herself up. Now I read that, someone to be bent over, crippled, that's a long, 18 years is a long time. Now this crippling, the Bible says that this is actually from Satan's power. So we do see there are times in people's lives when Satan can literally physically affect them. And this is an example of, of Satan attacking our bodies. Which brings me to my fifth point. Satan is a destroyer. We talked about Job and how Satan attacked Job's body. And 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Peter writes, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary... The devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You see, Satan wants to kill us. Now, now stay with me. I've got two points left on this, and, and I want us to remember this before we go home because Satan, there's an enemy out there. When you leave, there's an enemy out there who wants to take your body down, your physical flesh. And Satan's target is your body. Why? Because our body is the temple of God. 
Our bodies are used as God's tools and a means in which he shows the world his love. So Satan is going to bring suffering in your life to make you impatient of God's will. He wants us to not abide with him. But that leads me to point six. Jesus is a healer. It says in verse 12, but when Jesus saw her, he called her to him and said to her, woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. And he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and glorified God. So what is our defense when Satan is literally attacking us? Some time ago, me and Lisette, don't worry, we got COVID tested. We're not, <laughs> we're free, but we got sick. And we were like, man, we're, we're like, ah, oh, we're struggling with this. And I hadn't been sick in like over two years. And then we had to go get tested and it came out all right. But look, there's times when, when Satan wants to destroy our body. So what do we do when we're, we're suffering physically? What's our defense? Our defense is the imparted grace of God. And there's things that we can do during our suffering. So I'll leave you with these things, these four things to do when you're suffering. Number one, immediately submit yourself to God. Number two, thank God in trials. Number three, spend much time in God's word. And lastly, number four, Glory God in your trial. Give glory to God. So in this study today, we saw that repentance is necessary in our life. We saw it's not about karma, but grace in our life. We, we studied that we need to know Jesus so that we can know grace. Otherwise, if we don't know Jesus, we're not going to know his grace. We, we learned the importance of abiding in Christ because Satan is a destroyer and he wants to destroy us. But most importantly, Jesus, he's our healer. And because Jesus is our, is our healer, we know that in eternity, we're going to be given that new body. No more suffering, no more pain anymore. And this is what we look forward to. So with all these things, I want to pray this morning. And I want to ask, I'm going to give you guys an invitation. If there's anyone here that, that needs to, to get right with God. First, I want to, I am going to do two invites. One, if, if you've never received Jesus in your heart before. And then secondly, I'm going to invite people, if, if there's things in their heart that they want to get right, they want to repent in. So let me start with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love, your grace. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would move in our hearts, our minds. Father, if there's anyone here this morning and, and, and they don't know you, I pray that your Spirit would speak to them now. If that's you this morning, if you want to know Jesus on, on a, a personal level, if you've never received him before, I'm going to say, if th th this is your first time ever 
receiving Jesus into your heart, uh, raise your hand if you would like to. And if this morning, if as I was going through this study, there was things that God was revealing to you that you need to get right, that you do need repentance in your life. You've been walking with God, but you have then allowed things to enter your life that you don't want to be a part of anymore, that you do desire repentance and you desire that grace-filled life. That's you this morning. Raise your hand. All right. I want to pray for you guys. Heavenly Father, and, and I pray with, with, along with them this morning, Father. I ask that you'd forgive us, Lord. Cleanse us of, of our self-righteousness. Cleanse us of our selfishness. We repent and we accept you as our Lord and our Savior. Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit and use us. Help us to receive your grace fully and completely. And may we walk in the call that you have set before us. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.